Good morning. Appreciate the opportunity to uh, uh, present a lesson to you guys this morning um, on a little bit of short notice. Kind of found out last Friday, uh, Sunday morning, like, hey, we're going to be doing this this Sunday. So that's all right. Um, today, what I wanted to talk about was, um, was being refined. And, <clears throat> and being refined and being chastened and being purged. So we usually see those terms in, in the Old Testament. You know, the scripture we just read was from, from uh, Malachi. And one of the parts in there, it talked about how, how God basically, um, with the children of Israel, would refine them as silver. All right. And so when pulling this lesson together, you know, I've, of course, I went to Google and, and I wanted to read about what the refining process was. Like to refine silver, what does that typically take? And the process has been around for for ages. In fact, they, um, they basically set the, the date and time to around uh, 4000 BC of the actual silver refi refining process. <clears throat> Excuse me. And over time, there's been different methods, but one of the ways that, that they've used for years to get silver out of something is, to, is basically to put a certain amount of heat to it. Now, I think it was probably around uh, 1800 degrees Fahrenheit to basically be able to extract silver by itself and as well as burn away the impurities because you don't just dig into the ground and hey you get silver the impurities and things around it whether it be lead whether it be copper so on and so forth I know this is not a science lesson per se but those things essentially by heat have to be burned away the impurities of it to make silver actually pure to get it to like 99.99%, impurities have to be essentially burned away in the heat. So here's the actual definition of the refining process. Re to, to remove impurities or unwanted elements from, from a substance, typically as part of an industrial, industrial process, to improve something by making small changes. In particular, make an idea, theory, or method more subtle and accurate. We also talked about purging, and, and also purging is more of an Old Testament um, uh, type process. If, if you remember correctly from Psalm 51, David said to God, he said, purge me with your hyssop. So her, uh, hyssop was like a cleansing agent in the Old Testament used uh, in some of the sacrifices, uh, some of the things that the priests use. So also I want to look at chastening. To chasten is to discipline, to punish, or severely criticize, especially with the intention of improving someone's behavior. It can mean to tame or, or subdue, or to moderate or restrain someone's behavior. In all cases, it typically involves some form of discipline or potentially negative consequences for the person being chastened. So this morning what I wanted to do with the idea of being refined, with the, with the idea of being purged, with the idea of being chastened. I wanted to look at some of these things through the eyes of the scripture so that we could apply them to our own lives today. So, and when I, I can't help, but when I think about these being refined or chastened or disciplined, I can't help but think about the temptation that Jesus had to go through, the trials that Jesus had to go through, um, the trials that Job went through. And there's so many others, but it it would take forever if we went through all the biblical examples of what these individuals had to endure in the scripture um, 
to be refined, purged, or chastened. Now, we know is with Jesus, I want to just say this up front. Now, Jesus being God's son, he did not have to be purged of sin or purged of anything that was wrong or disciplined because he was doing wrong or refined because he was impure. But he did have to endure temptation as we all did. So, and there was a reason for that uh, as we read in the book of Hebrews. But I want to look at these trials and temptations and how we can apply the thought of refining and purging and chastening to our own lives by looking at some of these. So I want to go to um, Luke chapter 4. And with that, read the temptation of Jesus. Now we got to remember before we read this also in James 1.4, he says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Okay? So essentially... Satan was trying to, he was trying to lure Jesus away and cause him to sin and have him make the choice to sin. Luke chapter 4, this is a little bit of a long read. I have a couple of them this morning. Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the, uh, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were, when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. First temptation. And Jesus answered him, no, Actually, let me stop right here. The fact to think about some of the things leading up to this. One, he's in the desert. He's in the desert for 40 days. He hasn't had anything to eat. So think about this as we read this passage. Because right now, most of us have probably already had breakfast this morning, right? So if I was trying to lure you away with something, it, it's really not, it's not a big deal, right? Yeah, I just, I ate a little bit ago. I'm good. I'm all set. But let's go, let's go 40 days. Let's go a long span of time and not eat. And now after that, provide someone with an opportunity. We'd all jump on that opportunity, right? After that long not eating, I'm going to eat that bread, Right? Wherever it came from, we'd be tempted to do it. So remember, and Jesus had to deal with physical things like we had to, though the Son of God and though without sin, born of a virgin, there's things that he had to face that we also face. Remember, that's looking in the book of Hebrews, that's also why he can identify with us, because he went through all this stuff, yet was without sin. So fasting, and he's hungry. So Satan, first thing, Presents him with bread. If you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Verse 4, Jesus' response. And notice how he always responds with the word, right? He always responds with a verse when it comes to thwarting temptation and, and holding off temptation. Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Verse 5, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in, the, in a moment of time. And said to him, To you I will give all of this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. So think about this. Jesus is now being tempted with power. Remember, and remember, Jesus identifies, he identifies with us because he was partially man. Isn't mankind tempted by power and money? And this isn't, this isn't anything new. Mankind struggles with, with, uh, with the desire and the greed for money and power today just as it always has. 
Jesus' response. Verse 7, if you, then, uh, if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him, him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. Now, basically tempting him to test God, all right, by potentially killing his own body. Verse 11, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Well, also notice, as kind of a side note, Satan is very smart. He knows the scriptures. He knows them up and down, backwards and forwards. And look at how he's manipulating the scriptures to obviously his own benefit and his own agenda. Jesus, knowing the scriptures, said to him, verse 12, it is said, you shall not put, put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had, had, ended up, had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now think about that. 40 days, hungry, now tempted with things that we would all be tempted with. You know, to eat, for power, to test God. But he withstood the temptation. So he goes through this trial and this temptation. This is more of an example for us of difficulties, difficulties that we're going to encounter and things and ways to uh, thwart off temptation. These will build, uh, these will help refine us. These will help challenge us and build us as Christians. And we're going to look at that a little bit later on, but I want to go through another scripture. And this is, this is more of a trial for Job. If we go to Job chapter 1, starting at verse 13. And remember, Job was such a fantastic man of God that God had basically almost flaunted him in front of Satan and say, hey, is there anybody better than Job? Is there anybody greater? Have you seen him? So now Satan has his crosshairs on Job. Job chapter 1, verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the, their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were, plow, uh, I'm sorry, the oxen were plowing and the, doc, the donkeys feeding beside them, when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 16. While he was still speaking, and can you imagine this? If you put yourself in Job's shoes, He's got, he's got some huge losses. A servant comes up and, and lets him know of huge losses. All right? 16, while he was still speaking, so same, same conversation, same time, same place. While he was still speaking, another also came to him and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So now he's getting... In the same conversation, these people are coming up, letting him know of huge loss. You know, he didn't just lose one. He's losing massive amounts. He's losing servants. He's losing livestock. Verse 17, while he was still speaking, <coughs> excuse me, another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So there's another this is all in the same conversation. Verse 18. 
While he was still speaking, another came and said, and this is the worst, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. So his family is all together. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So think about this. Consider this. All in one conversation. All these guys interrupting each other. This, this, rich, man, this rich godly man had basically lost all this. He lost lives, livestock. He lost servants. And then at the end, he loses his family. He loses his children. All right then and there. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine everything he was going under, going through right at that moment of losing everything. Here's Job's response. And here's, this is a good lesson to us. <clears throat> then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. Now can you imagine that? Would that be our first inclination after all that loss? To choose to fall to the ground and worship God. He basically said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. So that's Job's response after losing everything. Instead of cursing God, which later on his wife had encouraged him to do, he basically fell down and worshipped and praised God and blessed him. I don't know if there's, if there's a larger trial in the Bible. I'm not sure, honestly. But I think we could all agree that's, that's definitely a trial in this man's faith. You know, and he goes on to endure more trial when his own body is attacked, essentially by Satan. And he still, stayed, he still stays true to God. So this, what I wanted to do is just kind of build a picture of what some trials might look like, you know, and what some temptations might look like. And so with that, we got to ask ourselves, like, what, okay, what is this for? What is, what is God trying to tell us through the scripture? You know, and to keep this going along with the message, you know, just remember, we're talking about being refined. We're talking about, you know, getting rid of the impurities. We're talking about uh, the chasing of, of God. We're talking about the purging. You know, essentially, we're making, a, it's supposed to make us better Christians. And with that, I want to lead into, into Malachi 3, uh, verses 2 through 4, and that's what uh, Josh had read this morning. So what is, what is this for? And I would have to say after reading this, we're going to see that it's to bring about righteousness. Malachi 3, 2 through 4, through 4, he says, But who can endure the day of his coming? Well, really, no one can. And who can stand when he appears? Well, no one can. For he is like a refiner's fire. Remember, we talked about it at the, at, at the beginning. You know, this is about 1,800 degrees. Nobody can withstand that. And like fuller soap, he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. So what? So that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. 
Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former days. So one of the big ideas, you know, of reasons for, for these trials and difficulties, not all, but one of them is, is to produce righteousness. Back to the purging. We're trying to get the impurities away so we can essentially, we can be better, better suited for God's purpose, more appropriate for his purpose. And also it's to be more righteous and holy. If we look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, he says there, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? And think about that. You know, we've got a good handful of parents in here. We discipline our kids if they've done wrong because we don't want them to continually make those same mistakes, right? We discipline our kids. We, we might punish our kids so that they don't do the wrong things. So when we tell them to do something, they, they do it. They have to learn that through discipline. We've had to learn that through discipline. There's still some lessons that we're still learning, right? But us growing up, I remember many times that my parents disciplined me, not just for the sake of discipline, but it was so that I wouldn't do that anymore. Because they wanted me to go on the right trajectory. They wanted me to do what's right. They wanted things to pan out well for me. And one of the ways to get that to happen is, is, is discipline. And of course it wasn't fun. You know, usually the discipline, like we, like we looked at in the beginning, the discipline is usually it's a consequence for doing something wrong. You know, like for our kids, we might take their screen time away. You know, they might not be able to play a video game or there might be something they might, might, not, be, might not be able to watch a show. You know, growing up, I remember growing up for me, there were some things that my parents would take away or I might have got, got spanked. It, it depends. But that was so, that was to try and keep us on the straight and narrow. That was the purpose behind it. Back to verse 7, verse 8. But if you are without chastening, so if you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits who live. Now think about that. Saying, shouldn't we, be, shouldn't we be submissive to God for his discipline of us? Right? I look back and there's a certain amount of respect I have for my father because he disciplined me. And same for my mother, because they disciplined me. Now, it, clearly they don't have to do that anymore and couldn't do that but I still maintain that respect because they had disciplined me as a kid. All right? And he's saying, how much more should we not have the submission in, um, in respect for God in that regard? Verse 10, For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them, but he for our prophet, see the discipline for our prophet, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There that is again, holiness, righteousness. That's what these processes are all about, to make us better. 
Okay? Now, think about this. Going back to the Old Testament, um, the people of God were put into captivity many, many times. If they had turned away from him, and I'm not just talking about like they did something once, they turned their lives away from God, did the exact opposite of what he had commanded. And so eventually, because they were hard-hearted, he, he basically gave them into captivity, into the nations in regions that were around them. I mean, think about they were in, in captivity to, for instance, the Babylonians, like with Nebuchadnezzar. They were in captive for there for, for some period of time, as well as others. In some of those verses, to, um, to check me on that, would be like 2 Kings 18 or 2 Kings 24 and 25, uh, 2 Chronicles 36 and Jeremiah 52. You know, they were held captive in other nations because they refused... Um, they refused to obey God. And through that, because God essentially punished them by that, what, what ended up happening every time? When he put them in, essentially, when he allowed them to be captive by another nation, they finally said, you know what? Hey, this is my fault. We've got to turn around. And they did. But would that have happened if God wouldn't have disciplined them? Probably not. So it was for the benefit of his own people. You know, and eventually they got right and they would get, they finally left idolatry by this chastening from God. So with that in mind, what, you know, think about this. Oh, here's another thing. I'm sorry, I skipped. I think about uh, James chapter uh, 1, verses 2 and 3. You know, it, What's God using this, this discipline for? So my brethren, in verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Or some of our versions might say endurance. I mean, think about this. I bet you, okay, I'm not in shape. So confession time, right? I'm not in shape. If I went and tried to run even a half marathon right now, What's that, 13.1 miles? It, good luck. I'd have to prepare for that, right? If I could even do it. If I'd want to give myself the chance to do a half marathon and run 13 miles, that's going to take some time, and it's going to take some intentionality and some effort, right? They'd be running every day, a couple miles, and I can't even imagine getting to a marathon running 26.2. That takes time, intentionality, you know, consistency. Well, these testings of our faith help produce that endurance needed to essentially run that marathon, to, to continue on that journey. That's what it's building, is the ability to keep going, even in the face of difficulty, and keep, uh, keep living the Christian life. So what's, what's our response to that? What, what should our response be to this sharpening, to this discipline, to this chasing, to these essentially difficult times? What should our response be? Well, along with these, the same set of verses in James uh, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, notice how he says, and this is, this is completely against culture right now, and probably always has been. He said, my brethren, count it all joy. 
Now, this seems pretty odd thinking about the words joy and trials and testing or like enduring or being patient. <clears throat> I mean, think about it. When you're going through something, there ain't a whole lot of joy there, right? Naturally, we're not joyful when something difficult is going on. So that's where we have to change our thinking a little bit or a lot of it, I'll say. First thing, our response should be to, hey, if we're being, if we have trials and temptations and difficulties and these things, be thankful. You know why? Because this is now, this is an opportunity. He's saying here, this is opportunity for you to build and be better. You know, and what's funny is, in, we do this all the time in other arenas, but when it comes to spiritual things, we, you know, oh, I'm going through trials and temptations. It's difficult. But think about this, when we're, when we're back to the sports example, we talked about that in Bible class this morning, right? Back to the sports example. We're okay with putting ourselves through difficulties, you know, running the miles and hours of workouts and things like that so that when we play a sports game where, you know, we can be successful. We, under, we get that and we're okay with that. But when it comes to our, our spiritual life, we need, to, we need to get that and understand that and be okay with that and actually be thankful for that. Because we all want to be stronger Christians, right? It's just not always going to come easy. And when the difficult things do come, let's choose to be thankful for it because this is an opportunity to grow as a Christian, all right? Um, I'm a broken record about this a little bit, but I, I will constantly bring up the time where I think I grew the most as a Christian. This is not the only time, but one of the times was I was a young Christian and just trying to live out my faith at, at the workplace and I was getting ridiculed for it you know as a young Christian that was tough for me you know and I was around uh, around the church and that helped me out through it but I look back on that <clears throat> and that that helped build so much strength and endurance in me going through that and and look and staying faithful through that so and I look back and I'm thankful for that experience you know, and there was other times, and this is kind of a side note. I know um, as we're kind of proofreading this lesson, uh, someone brought something up, and I, this was a good point. Not all spiritual growth happens because of difficult times. You know, sometimes it's just from, from or a lot of times it's from being around strong Christian people. And we also got to think about that when, when we're being refined and in difficult times is being around good, strong Christian people. That's what's going to help also help us endure through these things and build our faith as well. Because as one, you know, iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. Being around good Christian people help lift you up as a Christian. So it's not always difficult times. Um, but we need, to be, we need to be thankful about these opportunities to grow and embrace the fact, embrace the process, embrace the difficulties and the growth. Um, anything worthwhile, uh, it takes time and it's tough. You know, I, I can't help but if I wanna, you know, how do I respond to temptations and difficulties in my life? You gotta be, you know, not just be thankful for these opportunities, but you gotta be in the Word consistently. I know it's easy to turn to the Word when we're, you know, it definitely is easy to turn to the word uh, when we're in difficult times. We've got to remember to do it in easy times too, right? But Psalms 119, 9 and 10, about being in the, world, the word continually to help us deal with temptation and, and trials and difficulties. 
He says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you, O let not me wander from your commandments. This individual here, the psalmist in Psalm 119, if he wants to cleanse his way, if he wants to change, he's got to be in the word. This is something consistent that we have to be here constantly, especially through difficult times and through good. That's what helps, uh, helps us uh, know what's, what's right, helps us do what's right, helps us get through things. So being in the word helps us do many, many things. So we got to be in the word continually. And back to what I was saying just a little bit ago, um, Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. Talking about being around the church to get through these things and to help go forward. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, he says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We got to be together. You know, I, I've met individuals who, who try to walk this, walk this Christian walk on their own, solely on their own. And I just don't, I, it doesn't exist. That's not a scriptural concept. You know, there might be days where you have to walk on your own, but this individual was saying how it was constant, large periods of time that, hey, I'm just going to be a strong Christian on my own without anybody else. I just don't think it exists. It's not a scriptural concept. You know, God's saying here that, hey, don't abandon the getting together, the assembling of yourselves. Don't abandon that. And the verse before that, he's saying why. He's like, considering one another in order to do what? And to, stir, to stir up love and good works. I can't tell you how many times just being around the church consistently has helped me stay on a Christian walk. Many times. Because I needed encouragement or guidance or wisdom or all the above. So be in the word, be around the people of God, and be grateful. So, and don't, you know, in other passages I've seen, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Because it's for our own benefit. So, with this, this message this morning, I hope this helps someone out. You know, I've been in my own valleys. I've been in my own difficulties, right? And these things have helped me. You know, and honestly, for me, myself, the people of God, being with the church is what's probably helped me the most get through things and help grow. That's what's helped me. So just want to share that with you today. I, I hope the message helps somebody um, gain some wisdom from the scripture on how we need to, you know, deal with trials and temptations and how to move forward. Um, and remember, once again, all these things are so we can be better uh, shaped and appropriate for for Christ's purpose, to make us better, to make us stronger Christians. So I hope this helps. But before I close out uh, the lesson this morning, um, we can't end the lesson without an opportunity to, um, to put on Christ uh, in baptism, uh, to obey him in, in faith and repentance. So this morning, I just want to give a couple uh, easy steps that the scripture lays out for us to have our sins forgiven and to be right with Christ. And so, first of all, um, the gospel is basically that, you know, God came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ, put on flesh as a man, born, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and that he lived a perfect life. And then he went to the cross 
on our behalf to be that perfect sinless sacrifice to satisfy the requirements that God had. And with that, we have an opportunity to have our sins forgiven. We have an opportunity to go to heaven. But there's a couple things we got to do in response to his sacrifice and his rising from the grave. Because really, if he didn't rise from the grave, who cares? He's just another guy who died, right? But the fact that Jesus with a perfect, sinless sacrifice come from God, lived that perfect life, died on the cross, and then rose himself from the grave three days later. Rose himself from the grave, nobody else. That's the gospel. What's mankind's response to it? Okay? He says, first, you know, first... He says, uh, Jesus says in John 8, 24, he says, I told you, you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So we have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We have to confess him before men. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You have to repent. There's no way that you can believe in Christ. We kind of talked about this in Bible class this morning. There's no way that you can believe and acknowledge in Christ and have this faith without action attached to it. And that comes in the form of repentance. So Acts 2.38, and, and I'll, I'll sum up the last two steps to have your sins forgiven and to be right with God. He says you have to repent and you have to be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts 2.38, he says... Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Same thing as forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So these things you have to do to have your sins forgiven. And to repent is not just a one-time thing. Hey, I'm sorry for what I did. It's a complete change of mind that now I'm not going to live as the world. I'm not going to live for my own myself. I now am going to live for God. I'm going to think uh, think the way God thinks. I'm going to follow what God says and deny myself and do what God wants. And being baptized, that's to wash away your sins and, and that's immersion in water. So these are the steps, simple steps, to have your sins forgiven and get right with God. So this morning as we close, um, you have opportunity to put on Christ in baptism, have your sins forgiven, know that when you walk out of the building that you'd be right with God if you passed away today. And if anybody needs the prayers of the church this morning to help them get through something or help them grow or for whatever you need, we're here to assist you as together we stand and sing.